You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. Taking a little detour from the book of Acts today, um, this morning as we start the month of February, you know, the Lord kind of woke me up earlier this week and uh, put this message in my heart about God's love and how often we sometimes look at things and we look at God's love and his blessings as one and the same. And that we feel as though that God's love is somehow contingent upon the blessings he gives us or the lack thereof. And that to, I really felt like God wanted us to understand that his love is not based on the blessings we receive or don't receive. His love is unchanging. And so I really wanted to get that across today. As, that, as we think about the month of February and we think about it as a month of love, uh, I really want to talk to you this morning about God's love, his unchanging love, and that why sometimes we don't see blessings in our lives and how we can start to see God's blessings in our life and, uh, and you know, how we go about doing that. So this morning, I kind of wanted to go into that today. So this morning, I'm talking about God's love and his blessings. Uh, so first of all, I want you to know that nothing can change God's love for us. I want you to know that. And, and we, we really need to get a hold of this concept today. Above all else, understanding that God's love for you does not fluctuate or change. Amen? This is really important for us as believers as we go through life. And uh, there are times where we don't feel particularly lovely. There's times where we know that our walk with God is not where it should be. And we sometimes think because of the way that we're feeling that God loves us less. Or because we're not seeing the things that we want to see in our life that God has somehow forgotten us, forsaken us, and that his love has changed for us. I want you to understand something that we get through the scriptures is God's love is unchanging. Amen? From generation to generation the same, he is faithful, he is unchanging. His love is an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31.3 says that. The love of God is described as high and wide and deep and limitless, and that uh, when Paul wrote in Ephesians 3, uh, verses uh, 17 through 19, his desire is that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Stop there for a minute, because that's important. Did you get a hold of that right there? What does it mean to be rooted? It means that you have what's supplying nourishment for a plant or a tree. It comes from the roots. The roots are also what makes the tree strong. It also makes the plant strong. It draws its life from it, and it keeps it stable. So it says rooted and grounded in love. So first of all, if you want to be stable in your walk with God, you have to understand one thing, that God's love is unchanging. And then when you do that, you can operate from a place of stability and strength in your walk with Christ. That's an important and powerful thing if we can get a hold of that today. And then verse 18 says that you might be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ with passion's knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. So think about it this way. If you look across like a pond or a lake or a body of water, you can try and guess how deep that body of water might be, but you don't really know until you go into it and then you explore it and you see it, and you swim around in it, and then you understand exactly how big, how limitless, and how deep it is. 
And so that's the true for us, is that it, for you to understand and know God's love, you have to get into God's love, understand the facets of God's love and how deep it truly is for you and how unchanging it is. Romans 8, 38 through 39 says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. No angel in heaven, no demon in hell, not famine, not sword, not anything in all of creation, not even death itself can separate you from the love of God that's found only in Christ Jesus our Lord. So know that. So okay, so we're building the case here this morning for the idea that God's love is unconditional, God's love uh, is inexhaustible, God's love is eternal, God's love is unchanging, and it's wide and deep and limitless today, and we find our stability in that. So the love of God that God has for us should never be called into question. I want you to know that today. God's love for you should never be called into question at any point in time in your walk with him. God, do you love me less today? No, because God is unchanging. Jesus is the same, what? Yesterday, today, and forevermore. And, and when he spoke of himself, it says the, the, the Lord that's full of love and compassion to a thousand generations unchanging from generation to generation. God didn't love you when you were a hippie in the 60s and all of a sudden decide now that he doesn't love millennials. Does that make sense? It's not like he loved one generation more than another generation simply because uh, the generation has changed and one generation is considered to be better than another generation. It is unchanging. His love for everyone remains the same. The love of God is unconditional, but the blessings of God are. And I know that might sound a little strange to you. Because, well, if he loves me, he's going to bless me, right? Not necessarily. Because that's not entirely a biblical concept. Okay? God's love is unchanging. When we think about his blessing, we're saying, well, God loves some people more than others and loves me less because some people are more blessed than I am and I'm not as, exactly as blessed. We look at God as though he's somehow playing favorites. That somebody's blessed, they're well off financially, they're doing well, their family's blessed, everyone's getting along, their marriage is good, so God must love them more than he loves me. But we know, biblically speaking, that's not true. God's love is unchanging. So why then are we not always blessed? Why then are we sometimes finding ourselves struggling? And the answer to the question is because the love of God is unconditional, but the blessings of God are conditional. They're conditional upon obedience. God's love, which is called agape love, or agapao in the Greek. I know you love Greek words, so I'm going to throw those out to you. Mostly because I don't know many of them, and I just wanted to share that one with you. But the Greek word there is agapao, and it means unconditional love, a love that cannot be earned. So let, let's grab a hold of this for a minute. It's like we're looking to earn the love of God, that he would somehow love us enough to bless us more when we're appealing to a love that cannot be earned in the first place. Does that make sense? Are we getting a hold of this? Is that we cannot earn the love of God. God's love is unconditional. It's the love that a father has towards his children. It's the love that God has towards his creation. But many equate the blessings of God as the measure of how much he loves us. But true, the true measurement of God's love for us is not in receiving blessings, but it's found in our salvation. 
Jesus demonstrated the depth of his love for us at the cross. And honestly, he doesn't need to do anything else to prove his love for us. Amen? He really doesn't need to do anything else to prove to you that he loves you. He will and he does, but the greatest expression of his love for us as uh, sinners that needed redemption was on the cross where he gave his life and died for us. He doesn't need to do anything else to prove his love for us. His love has already been proven already. And it's true that God will bless us because he loves us, but that's not the key to God's blessing. The key to receiving God's blessings is obedience. And I know we don't like this one because we're like, well, that's not exactly exciting to me. And that's, it's just easier to just be loved, isn't it? It's just easier to be loved. And, and remember, it doesn't change God's love for us, our obedience or disobedience. God loves us the same. But it does change the degree of God's blessing in our life when we choose to follow him or if we choose not to. Let me give you an example, okay? Old Covenant, Deuteronomy chapter 28. And if you look at Deuteronomy 28, it is the consummate chapter about the blessings of God that he has promised his people if they follow after him. Verses 1 and 2, and Moses speaks these words as God speaks them through him, speaks to the people of Israel, and says, Now shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commands, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Saying that these blessings, uh, you know, will come upon you and overtake you. The idea of overtaking means that they will overwhelm you, the blessings of God. And then he goes on, like, and I won't go through the entire chapter here, because you should probably just take that, and you know what, I want, what I want you to do is to, uh, in your private time of prayer and devotions this week, can I give you the assignment of Deuteronomy 28, that you just sit down and read through it? And in it has every single blessing that is promised in the covenant of God to his people when they honor him, when they respect him, when they follow him. Some of the blessings that go on, it goes on to talk about that he would bless them in the city, And in the country, wherever they go, he would bless the fruit of their crops and their livestock, their basket and their mixing bowl. He would bless them above their enemies. He would bless the work of their hands and establish them in the land. Deuteronomy 28 is a powerful list of God's blessings that he has in the Lord. But it's given as a result of obedience to the word of the Lord. So if we want to receive the blessings of God in our life, Remember, the covenant of God towards his people, even though the people of Israel would sometimes follow him and do well, and sometimes they would backslide and fall away, God didn't finally just say, I'm done with you, I no longer love you. Look at the, the story of Israel's history. Look at the story from Moses all the way through to the New Testament, that even as man followed God and they followed him well and they followed him poorly, the love of God never changed, but the blessings of God did. The hand of God at work within the nation of Israel and among his people changed as a result of whether they listened to God or they didn't listen to God. So if we want to see the blessings of God in our life, let's walk according to his ways. But conversely, the other half of this is at the end of the chapter of chapter 28, 
But it says, if you don't follow, the opposite will happen to you. Deuteronomy 28, 45, and 46. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you, and they shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder on you and your descendants forever. What's it saying with that? Is that if you decide not to listen to God, not walk in his ways, uh, follow the, th- the ways of this world, follow the idols of this world, what's going to happen is I will remove my blessing from you, not my love, but my hand of blessing from you so that it would be a sign to you and the generations that follow that you need to follow the Lord. Now, we don't like this part where we say, okay, well, God, why don't you just bless me and, uh, you know, I'll figure it out along the way. But the reality of it is, is that God is trying to show us and demonstrate something to us. If you read the latter half of the chapter, it says those who are disobedient to the Lord will receive the exact opposite to every blessing that was promised in the first half of the chapter. So the lack of blessing doesn't have anything to do with the lack of love from God, but a lack of reverence and obedience for the word of the Lord. And you might say, well, Pastor Dan, this is Old Covenant. This is not New Covenant. But, but remember, Jesus said he didn't come to undo the law, but to complete it. Okay, so keep that in mind as we talk about a New Covenant. Now, we have a New Covenant in Christ, and we follow after him. But I want you to think about this. I truly believe that the reason why so many Christians don't receive the blessings of God in their lives is because they misunderstand the lack of blessings to be a lack of love from God, but it's actually due to a lack of obedience and honor and reverence towards God. I'm going to get a little personal here, so I hope you will stay with me on this. Remember, okay, when I share these things with you, I preach to myself as well that I am not a perfect person by any stretch of the imagination, but I desire to please the Lord above all else. My heart is to, to follow him and walk in his ways and to help you get there and help you do it too because I want to see God's blessing upon your life. I want to see prayers answered. I want to see breakthroughs take place. But part of the reason I feel as though we don't see those blessings in our lives are for a variety of reasons. Christians don't always follow God's ways. There are believers, Christians who lie, they cheat, and they steal and don't see God blessing their business. Why? Because their business practices are not godly practices. There are believers who don't raise their children in the reverence and knowledge of the Lord, and then later on they weep and lament when their children aren't following God. There are believers uh, and Christians who harbor secret sins in their lives and always walk around in failure instead of victory. Christians who don't tithe and wonder why they never have enough to make ends meet. Always struggling in poverty, debt, and lack because they haven't learned the principle of sowing and reaping and tithing in Malachi and being generous like Proverbs talks about. Listen, show me a person that's struggling. Show me a person that's, that's always in debt and always broke, and I'll show you a person that doesn't tithe. I, I guarantee it that that's not happening. Why? Because they can't get things together and in order because we need to be a per- people that give and trust God. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart because a lot of our stresses, our worries, and fears are connected to whether we're going to make ends meet. If we give that area over to the Lord, 
and, and we are faithful and generous in those things, the Lord promises in Malachi 3 that he will take care of us. Or we see sometimes prayerless believers who never see God act on their behalf. Or believers who have unconfessed sin in their lives that hinders their prayer lives. So we're saying, well, God, why aren't you blessing? Why aren't you answering? Why aren't you doing anything? And the fact is we haven't really fully been transparent with God or honest and open with him about where we really are at. Whether we are fooling ourselves or trying to fool others or trying to put one over on God, God sees all things. And if, we, if God blesses a behavior that's wrong, guess what we do? We keep doing it. Don't we? I have a dog at home. His name's Sawyer. He's a Brittany Spaniel. He's about six years old. He's awesome. But I've tried to train him to, when he comes in, to sit down so he can wipe his feet. And when he does that, I give him a treat. But now, whenever my dog comes in the house, he goes and sits on the mat, and he immediately expects a treat. Why? Because we've rewarded him for something that he was supposed to do, and now he's doing something and expecting it. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if you reward your children with something, they will continue to do it, and sometimes they'll come to expect it. So when God blesses us in the spite of our disobedience, guess what we do? We just continue to do what we've always done. Instead of following what God wants us to do. Now, it's true. We're under the new covenant. It's not the covenant of Moses, but a covenant in Christ. And the second half of the Bible is called the New Testament. And why it's called the New Testament? Because it's the new covenant in Jesus Christ. It's a covenant of salvation through Jesus, a guarantee of eternal life, and God's hand of power through the Holy Spirit and the kingdom of God being at work in us and through us. But just as it was in the Old Testament, obedience is the key to God's blessings. Just as God has shown love and honor through obedience in the Old Covenant, just as we show God love and uh, honor uh, through obedience in the Old Testament, so too it is with Christ that we show love and honor when we listen and obey his word. Consider these words that we uh, see that Jesus shares, okay? And we quote this often because we, we... you know, like the part where it says, you know, whatever you ask for in my name, I will do it. Okay, right? We love that. And we believe that. And we walk in that. That we, Our declarations have power. Our prayers have power. That the name of Jesus has power. But look at what Jesus says. In verses 12 through 15, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I will do, he will do also. And greater works than he, these will he do, because I go to my Father And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the name of the Father might be glorified in the Son. If you ask for anything in my name, I will do it. We're like, yes, great. Verse 15, if you love me, though, keep my commandments. Do you see the key? Do you see how they're connected? Is that God will do these things through us as we pray, as we uh, call the name of Jesus, as we declare them for the honor and glory of the Father. But also God has shown honor and glory through following him and being obedient to him. Jesus tells him, if you love me, you'll keep my words. If you'll follow my direction, you'll do my will. It's in this that Jesus is glorified and God is well pleased. And we show God love through obedience. We show him by saying, you know what, I'm listening to you. Listen, as a parent... You know, you understand that you feel loved and honored 
when your children listen to you. But when your children don't listen to you, you feel disrespected, you feel ignored, you feel unimportant, you feel uh, cast aside. So let's, you know, take that and apply that towards how God feels for us. God's love is, is a fatherly, heavenly father type love for us. And he has given us his son Christ to be able to show us the way, to provide us the way to salvation and the means to have eternal life and to walk in him. And he says, okay, all right, son, daughter, you know, you walk with me in the faith. I want you to do what, what I want to see God's uh, direction played out in your life. Now, here's what I want you to do. And you say, no, no, I'm going to do my own thing, Dad. I'm going to do my own thing because I know better. When we do our own thing, we kind of say to God, I know better. I know you said that I should do this. I know you want me to do this. But I know better than you because, you know, I've got life. I know me. i got life figured out. And so by doing that, we are actually dishonoring God. And we don't often think of disobedience that way, but when we do that, we actually not, do not show God the honor that's due his name. Now let's talk about God's love and ours. You still with me? Most of you? Okay. Those who are sleeping, rest in the Lord. Rest in the Lord. God's love and ours. Now I want you to understand this. We know God loves us because of what Jesus did on the cross. So if there's any question about God's love for you, look to the cross. That's the sign of his love for you. That's the expression of his love. It is his, the proof of his love for us. But the way that God knows we love him is by keeping his word. This is the measuring stick of our love for him. As we follow God's word, as we honor Jesus, we bring him joy and bring uh, good pleasure to the fa heavenly father above. We have an unchanging love from an unchanging God, but the love of God should change us. Let me say that again. We have an unchanging love from an unchanging God, but the love of God should bring about change in us. You ever love someone so much that it hurts? You ever love someone so much that they're just a bad, uh, you know, their life is just a train wreck? It's like a dumpster fire. Like, you love them with all your heart, but you just can't help but shake your head at them because it's almost painful to love them in that way. But many speak of the, the love of the Father as though it's just kind of like an anything goes. Like, like the Father's just some just kindly old grandpa that sits outside and he says, that's okay, honey, do whatever you want. But that does a disservice to what the cross was. If we were in good shape, then Jesus would have never needed to come to this earth. He would have never needed to die for our sins. If we were in so well off, then that would have never needed to happen. He would have never needed to die for our sins. So for us to be able to walk in the way that put Jesus on the cross, that cheapens what Jesus did. That's cheap grace. That's uh, actually doing a disservice to the depth and the cost of the love of God that was displayed in Jesus on the cross. It's cheap grace that minimizes the cross by saying, hey, you know what? Live how you want. It's okay. God understands. And that's a poor understanding of what God's love is really like. The Father's love is really like. Yes, God wants to bless us, but he also wants to bring us into maturity. You, like a parent, you say, okay, when I raise my kids, I want to make sure that when my child grows up, they are independent, they are functional, they can get through life on their own, they can know how to make a box of mac uh, 
Kraft macaroni and cheese dinner on their own without any help. They can iron their own shirts. They know how to do their laundry. They know that they shouldn't lie, cheat, or steal, or murder people. And if you've done that, that child is doing pretty well, right? Do you want to raise your child so that they are independent, but they are independent in the sense that they are self-sufficient, knowing what they know about what you raised them in? So your, your upbringing becomes the blueprint and the programming that kind of sets them on the course for their life for success or for failure, depending on what they choose to follow. And so understanding that is God wants to bring us into maturity. This is really important. I want you to understand the picture here. I want you to get this picture because this is the picture that, I, you know, as I was uh, just waking up on an early morning earlier this week, this is the picture that God showed me, okay? The picture that God showed me is this, is that God wants us to bring, bring us into maturity so that we are made like Jesus, that we are made in the image of his son. The word disciple means follower. And if you are a disciple of Christ, then you're a follower of Jesus. Because Jesus, why? Because Jesus is the demonstration of God's love to a sinful world. We see the cross, we see Jesus. He is the demonstration and expression of God's love to the world. So if Jesus is perfected in us, then God's love is made manifest through us. What that means is that God's love is displayed through us because when people see us, they see the qualities of Jesus, they see the character of Jesus, they see the words of Jesus that work within our life. And as we do that, God's love emanates through us unto other people. Love leads to obedience, and Christ is seen and shared through us. This is said in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. I want you to look at this because this is, this is the love chapter. We preach on this chapter from time to time, 1 John 4, and the whole book of 1 John talks about understanding and knowing who God is and the love of God and uh, avoiding false doctrine and knowing the deity of Christ and the, the message of salvation and what sound doctrine truly is. And so he defines what love is. He says, Beloved, let us love one another uh, for love is of God, and anyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. This is the love that was manifested towards us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God loved us, we should also love one another. Now, verse 12 goes on to say, it says, no one has seen God at any time, but if we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is being perfected in us. What does perfected mean? It means that it's not perfect now, but it's being worked out and made perfect. What makes things perfect? Practice makes things perfect. If you play sports, if you play baseball, football, or any sport, you practice to be made perfect. Our worship team, we practice on Thursday night and Although there are times where I'm far from perfect, we're doing our best to sound better and to bring you to a place of worship so that the, the lack of preparation is not distracting. We practice to make ourselves better than what we are now. And so we see that uh, love is being perfected in us, verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he is in us because he has given us his Holy Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses Jesus is the Son of God, and God abides in him, and he in God. 
And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. God's love is manifested. It's shown in Jesus. And it's perfected in us as we demonstrate God's love towards each other. People see the unseen God, the unseen Jesus, as we live out uh, the way that we should walk in him. And it testifies and uh, proclaims Jesus when we do that. When we're lacking maturity, it is God's love that prompts him to discipline us. Why? Because God does not want spoiled children. Right? You know, we think when they're younger, when our kids are younger, we think if we just keep giving them stuff, then they'll act better and they'll behave better. And then as your children get older into their teens and 20s, and that becomes money and things, and then you realize that they're not doing it to behave. They're not doing it to, to honor you. There becomes an expectation that's there for things that they shouldn't get because they're not treating you right. They're not respecting you. They're not honoring you. God does not want to raise spoiled children. That's why the blessings sometimes don't come to us when we're not living and walking in his ways because he does not want to reinforce that behavior. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6 says this. says, My son, don't regard the, lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when being reproved, which means corrected by him. For the Lord loves the, disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And it goes on to say that discipline is a sign of the love that the father has for his child. Why? Because he cares about his future and well-being, and he wants to give him the tools for life and is commended for raising that child up in discipline. And that discipline will produce a harvest of righteousness and holiness in the life of the believer. So in order for Jesus to be seen in us, God uses life to teach us and instruct us. His word is the textbook, but life is the classroom. I'll say that again. The scriptures are the textbook, but life is the classroom. So you can learn all you want to learn about the word. But whether you apply it or not is the classroom of life. That's where we find ourselves in. And the difficulties that we go through at times are God's correction and discipline towards us to make us more like Jesus. God's love is unconditional, but the blessings of God are because in discipline, good behavior is rewarded and reinforced and bad behavior is disciplined and corrected. Now, what does this have to do with love? Pastor Dan, what? I thought we were talking about love, and now you're talking about discipline and correction. Why are you talking about that? Well, the truth is, love needs to be paired with faithfulness. Um, otherwise, it becomes hurtful. Love has to be paired with faithfulness. Otherwise, it becomes hurtful. Professed love without faithfulness hurts others. So if you love someone, if you've committed yourself to love someone, whether it be your boyfriend or girlfriend, your husband or wife, and you say, I, I love you, and there's no one else but you in my life, and then you find them in the arms of another, even though they've said they love you, even though you've professed your love to them, the unfaithfulness is heartbreaking and hurtful, and it destroys love. Love and honesty have to go together. If there's no honesty, then love becomes useless, and empty. Love and faithfulness complement each other. Faithfulness is devoted love in action. 
So when you say you love somebody, that's one thing. But when you show and demonstrate by action that you love somebody, carrying it out, that demonstrates and shows that you are really in love with that person. Disobedience is unfaithfulness to God. God wants to teach us faithfulness and obedience to his word. Why is discipline necessary? Because without, uh, love without good and godly character does more harm than good. If you ever had to love someone or say they, have someone say they love you but they can't get their life together, their life straightened out, you know what it's like to be dragged through pain, heartbreak, and sadness. Am I right? It's one thing to say, you know, I love you. And they can say, I love you too. And they may even make promises about how they're going to be different now. I'm going to be different now, and it's going to change. And they make these promises about how they're going to stop the behavior that's been causing all the pain and the hardship and the difficulty. And because you love them and because you made a commitment to God, you, you stay with that person and you try and work it out. But when they have these issues in their life, it doesn't matter how much they say they love you, they will hurt you and drag you through pain. Relationships are ruined because of the dark secrets that a person hides. Addiction to gambling, porn, drugs, alcohol, lying, cheating, the list goes on and on. They harm the people that they profess to love. It would be better if you had never met them at all than to have a love a person who would put you through all that. So we understand, and we've seen it, whether we've seen it in our own family, whether we've seen it in our own relationship, uh, whether we've seen it with friends of ours who have been in a relationship that's bad, we've seen that love in and of itself, just alone, without good and godly behavior and character, it actually eats a person away. It destroys them. Even though that they are in love, they don't feel loved and they feel broken inside. So consider it this way. Love must be true. Love must be based on God's truth to transform the life of the individual so they can be more loving and be more lovable. I'll say that again. That as we allow God's truth to change us, it makes us more loving towards people who don't deserve it. And makes us more lovable because it changes the kind of people we are so we are not so difficult to love. And we want God to do that in our lives. Consider it this way. If a Christian says they love God but then don't walk according to God's ways, it shows up in their life it shows up in their relationships, and it ruins their testimony. It ruins perception of God. It ruins our testimony for Jesus. But if the believer that is fully transformed by the love of God walks according to God's ways, they become more like Jesus. And God's, the Father's love is best shown through Christ. So as we love and serve God faithfully, Jesus is glorified, and people experience the love of God as we walk out living uh, the life of Jesus in the flesh. They, when they encounter us, they encounter God. When they encounter us, they encounter a person that fully walks with Jesus. And that can be powerful. Remember, beloved, remember brothers and sisters in Christ, God's love for you never will change. His love is unchanging. But the blessings that we receive in life can change or are conditional depending on whether or not we walk in obedience or not. Let's 
let God help us to connect the two together. And when we do, we'll see a change in things. We'll, we'll see ourselves, the things that we've been hoping for, the things that we've been praying for, we will see those carried out in our life. As we walk with God, as we walk in his ways, God's blessings are a covenantal promise that he gives every believer. That if we walk in them, we will receive them. If we walk away from them, we'll never see them. They'll never see the light of day in our lives. So I want to encourage us in that. But I want you to think about this. Scripture tells us that love can be forgotten. You know, if you're with somebody for a really long time, you can forget to tell them that you love them. Your love even can become distant. The fact that you are loved can be taken for granted. But love can be forgotten. Jesus said this in Matthew 24 as a sign of the coming of the end of the age. He said in verses 12 and 13, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. What does that mean? Is that the love that people have for God will wane, will grow cold, will fade with time. Listen, there were times that many times in Israel's history, they had to come back to the covenant. They had to come back to the promises of God. They had to be uh, reaffirm themselves again. There would be, I believe there's three to four times a year that the people, three times a year that Jewish men were required to go to Jerusalem, to the temple, and to consecrate themselves to God for certain feasts. A reminder, a renewal of that covenant, that commitment, that relationship they had with God. How often are we reminding ourselves to be committed to God and to love him the way that he loves us? Love can be forgotten and grow cold over time. Secondly, love can be forsaken. Love can be forsaken. Revelation 2, 4 and 5, he says this to the church in Ephesus, which was a great church, by the way. Ephesus was a, a, a key church in Asia Minor, one of the seven churches. There were significant churches in Asia Minor, one of the seven churches that uh, were written to uh, in the book of Revelation. And one of them that says to the church in Ephesus, he says, nevertheless, I have this thing against you, that you left your first love. Remember, therefore, the height where you've fallen from. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. What does that mean? He's saying to the church, he says, you know, listen, you used to love me in a different way. You used to love me with more devotion, but you've forgotten your first love and gotten your attention on other things. And how many know in the last year, in 2020, the church has sometimes gotten their eyes on different things, gotten their eyes away from Jesus, gotten their eyes away from following him and on other things, whether it be what the news puts out or whether we hear things and we kind of get our ourselves worked up and our affections turned elsewhere, but we need to get back to our first love. And he says, you know, if you don't do this, you know, eventually, you know, I will come quickly and I'll remove your lamps. And he's saying of the church, you won't exist anymore. The church, you know, your church and the devotion and, and the love that you have for God is like your, your testimony will cease to exist because you've gotten away from me. So what should we do then? The remedy for this, the fixing of our love for God, starts first of all when we remember the height that we've fallen from. Remember where we were before. Remember where you were when you loved God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
and your love was not apathetic but passionate for God. I'm not talking about working this up. I'm not talking about hyping yourself up to love God. What I'm talking about is loving God and remembering the way you loved God with the devotion you had for him and trying to get back to that place once again. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Secondly, repent. What does the word repent mean? It means to make a 180-degree turn. It's like making a U-turn in your car. So if you're going in one direction and you're getting further from God, you know what you need to do? Just stop, turn around, and go back towards him. Stop drifting from him. You know, if you tie it, if you have a boat on Lake Konkaman and you don't have it tied to the dock, eventually as the wakes come by, the boat starts to drift away from the pier. It's just the natural course of things. And so it is with us. We drift away from God with time. And we have to keep ourselves anchored and tied back. And sometimes we have to turn around and stop doing what we think is the right thing to do and look to see whether or not this is what God wants us to do. And then lastly, return to the things that you did before. Remember, repent, return. When love is forsaken, it needs to be renewed. Return to the things you did before and repent. A return to a committed covenant relationship with God once more. I don't know about you. I want to see God's blessing in your life. I want to see prayers answered. I want to see you thrive and not fail. I want to see God working in your life in a greater way. Last year was a hard year. But there's a tendency for us when we go through hard things to drift. But whether you're here today or you're watching online, don't drift from the love that God has for you. Instead, renew that covenant with him. Restore yourself to a place of love and devotion to him once more and follow him with all your hearts. I wonder if we can just kind of close our eyes for a moment. I just want to ask you a question as we think and as we consider today. Have you drifted? Have you gotten away from God? Does God feel further away than he did before? I want you to remember something, that God's love for you is unchanging. So God's not the one who moved. Can I say that again? That if you feel like distant from God, it's not God who moved away. We've allowed life to grind us down, to get frustrated and to get discouraged, or we've allowed other things to capture our affection and our gaze, and we drift towards those things. Is God calling you back to a place where you feel like you've drifted from him, but in reality, he's not far from you at all. You just need to get back to him this morning. Listen, we falter, we fail, we make mistakes along the way, but I want to challenge you today to come back to that place of first love devotion to the Lord. Maybe God's speaking to you today and you kind of are mad at him because you haven't seen prayers answered and you haven't seen things unfold the way that you would like them to understand that even the difficult times in your life god is instructing you he's teaching you he's showing you the way to be go back to him he's raising you up in strength and maturity and don't despise his correction these are the course corrections that we need to get back to him what's god speaking to you right now where do you see yourself at? Are you close to where you need to be or are you far away from where you used to be? Either way, let's get ourselves back to him. Let's remember, repent, and return.
so that God's love and his blessings can be shown forth in our life. Can we pray together? Let's do that right now. God, I just, I just pray this morning that you would help us to get back to you. You may even want to just tell the Lord you love him again. God, I love you. I'm so grateful for all that you did for me. I'm so thankful for your love for me. Forgive me for the times that I've questioned your love. Help me remember that your love was demonstrated fully, richly, and deeply at the cross. And so today, God, I recommit myself anew to you. My love for you, I profess and proclaim boldly and unashamedly. This morning, I choose to come back to you. And I give you all my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. I love you that way once more. God, I pray that you would just work in each person's heart that deep devotion, that covenantal relationship once more. I pray, God, that that would be renewed this morning in every heart and in every life, both those here and those watching online. I pray today, God, that you would just restore that covenant once more. And Lord, I pray that you would release unto them the blessings and favor of God upon their life, that Deuteronomy 28 blessing, so as they walk throughout life, they would see your hand with them throughout every decision and every way that they go because they're walking in your ways. I ask this today in Jesus' name. And if you agree with that today, say amen. amen. I'm going to ask our men to come forward. It's Communion Sunday. It's a Sunday that we recognize and remember Christ's sacrifice for us. When you came in today, you might have seen something that looks a little like this. This is different, I know. We don't usually do this this way. But with the, all the things that are going on, we decided this was a safer way to do it. And this is both the juice and the bread. I encourage you to go grab one and to take it back to your seat if you don't have one already. But uh, we're going to celebrate communion together. And we celebrate communion personally instead of it being given to you by someone else because we know that Communion is a personal devotion to God. It's a personal expression of remembrance before God. And so we're going to pray in just a minute here, and then we're going to give some time of contemplation for you to pray on your own, and then we'll partake of communion together as one. I'm going to ask Gary Elrod, one of our deacons, to pray for forgiveness, and then I'm going to ask uh, Arthur Barnes to pray God's blessing over the bread and cup today. Lord, we ask you for your forgiveness this morning for our sins. Uh, we know that uh, if we confess our sins to you, that you have promised to forgive us and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. So we thank you for your grace and your mercy today, Lord. Amen. Heavenly Father, we stand in awe of you this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you made a way for us to be in your presence, Lord God, that we can come to the very throne of grace. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your great sacrifice. Lord, that you set aside your glory, that you took on flesh, and that you died, Lord God, so that we could be reconciled to the Father. 
Lord, we ask that you bless these elements and what they represent. The bread for your body that was broken. The juice for the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. So, Lord, we ask that you would draw near to us as we draw near to you this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take these next few moments to spend some time in reflection and prayer. And then in a moment, we will partake of communion together. Will you stand with me as we show honor to the Lord by partaking of communion together? Let us stand. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed. He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread together. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread or you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's proclaim that death together. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you for the expression that you of love that you have for us in the cross in your death and resurrection. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.